नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चारवक पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा ऑल राइट टुडे वी आर गोइंग टू बी टॉकिंग अबाउट ट्रांसफॉर्मिंग बाबूराम सो आई आई जस्ट गिव यू गाइस अ ब्रीफ बैकग्राउंड अबाउट टुडेस डिस्कशन सो अ फ्यू आई थिंक a couple of months ago if i remember it correctly yeah, it was mid march and then uh, the next article i think was i think in the uh, yeah on, in april i if i remember correctly it was on the 1st of april so i'd come across a couple of amazing articles on mint by written by diva and when i uh, uh, when i read them uh, so i was like okay i have to invite this person on the podcast and talk about these topics and i somehow managed to get hold of diva and uh, here she is so diva thanks a lot for coming on the podcast hi kushal it's a pleasure to be here thanks for inviting me greetings to your viewers namaste everyone All right, uh, Diva. Let's start like this. Uh, as this is your first uh, time on the Charvak podcast, I would request you to tell the viewers and the viewers right now, and people who are going to be listening to this later, a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm real estate developer by profession, and I research and write on behavioral finance and economics by my calling. So I used to write for Business Standard, and now I write for Life Mint. All right, so Diva. so let's start with this uh, so obviously mm-hmm. usually uh, i you know when i do podcast there there is no flow but for today as the subject is very very technical and then the nature of your article also was very technical you had made specific points based on surveys and research and there was a lot of background going into those things so we're going to follow a pattern today uh, for the live viewers because it is very important until and unless we don't follow that pattern of the discussion we may not be able to kind of uh, you know unpack a lot of things so diva so uh, let's start first with the history and evolution of indian bureaucracy so if somebody was to come and tell you okay diva tell me how has indian babudam evolved so let's start there right so kushal the great indian bureaucracy it is a polarizing figure in public discourse so to some it is a multi-headed hydra with voracious appetite for public resources and to some others it is still the titanium frame of india right so this is a vast area of debate and discussion but today's conversation let us try to keep it little bit more focused and linear so now one phrase and a governing philosophy that we all the time hear is minimum government and maximum governance this means that the government should limit itself to certain areas like law and order healthcare education defense and withdraw itself from all other areas like agriculture industry banking telecom etc now the problem is that with 70 years of socialism this is politically not easy and many people they have this my baapi of the government and some people want the government to intervene as and when it is convenient for them and by the way the politics of the farm laws it is a classic example of this so minimum government and maximum government is a difficult framework to implement so we should think in terms of state capacity and state capability as of now we have got maximum government but no state capability in some areas like education law and order healthcare we neither have state capacity nor do we have the state capability so the point now is that though it is desirable to reduce the scope of the government it is politically very difficult 
and therefore it might be more feasible to increase the effectiveness of governance and bureaucratic reforms are critical to this so before we delve into details as as you mentioned let me talk about the history and the evolution of indian bureaucracy and then we will talk about the various reform measures that have been tried and why they have failed we then talk about the incentives of the bureaucracy and what lies and how they lie at the heart of the bureaucratic reform and here we look deeper into the use of financial incentives and i will try to make it simple but we will take some examples from academic theory anecdotal evidence as well as some empirical evidence so now please indulge me for few minutes as i talk about the historical perspective first so you might be surprised the model on which the indian bureaucracy is based at least the upper bureaucracy the ias it is called the mandarin model and as the name suggests this is not indigenous to india so along with the virus that is currently tormenting us this bureaucratic system that has been tormenting us for decades this is also a export of our friendly eastern neighbor via europe right so in 2021 in china it was mandated that no administrative office except that of the emperor can be inherited the empire would be administered by scholar officials who were selected on merit through a highly highly rigorous uh, exam right so the first feature of this uh, mandarin system is that recruitment is meritocratic very similar to the recruitment of our ias officers also these mandarins they are generalists they have got broad knowledge of classics and philosophies again a very prominent feature of our ias but most importantly just like the ias these mandarins they have broad and undefined powers and over time they become corrupt and despotic now in 17th and 18th century feudal europe is very impressed with the system and it adopts it wholesale especially britain and france and they export it to their colonies and surprisingly even now indian bureaucracy is based on this 2000 year old model with minor 19th century embellishments but in current digital age where the challenges of governance are dynamic and fluid this rote execution of well defined tasks and rules and procedure is a recipe for disaster so oddly though we are stuck with this outdated euro chinese import the ancient moderns they had a very sophisticated administrative system so let me briefly tell you some of the features of that system the civil servants they were recruited based on merit unlike our current babus there was no job security most importantly there were strong incentives for performance so civil servants who increased the revenues they were made permanent on increased emoluments also unlike the feudal systems that came to dominate india during the islamic period these bureaucrats they were paid clean wages meaning they were paid in cash and not granted land or hereditary properties on the whole there was a distinction between the interest of the state 
and private interest of the civil servants and the use of public office for private interest was heavily penalized so you see this ancient system that has complex layers of incentives and disincentives unlike our current system which resembles the mughal and the british era system in all the wrong ways so we still have a feudal bureaucracy by the way and i'll give you a recent example you must have uh, you you guys must have seen it on twitter also the dm in chatisgarh is beating up a hapless citizen oh yeah so so it is it is atrocious so instead of thinking that he is a public servant he thinks that he is some feudal lord and he treats the citizens as his subjects hmm. another stark example of this feudal mindset i mean i came across this piece just yesterday this comment by ias officer so he says that the government is has weakened civil service by removing the red beacons or or the lal battis yeah <laughs> so here we have a ias officer thinking that the strength of the civil service is just in the symbols of authority and not about the work that is done on the ground and some ias officers they even append ias to their names as if it is some uh, royal feudal title like lord or a baron so it is no surprise that indian bureaucracy and when i speak of the indian bureaucracy i mean the entire civil service and not just the ias is crying out for reform in this context it is important to note that several countries like china japan south korea singapore which were very not very different from us few decades ago they have supercharged their growth with a highly competent and a motivated bureaucracy so before we jump to the question of reform measure we need to define what is it that we want our bureaucracy to do what should be the objectives of bureaucracy now generally speaking a modern bureaucracy is required to follow the following three functions so one is number one policy formulation number two policy implementation and number three delivery of the public services so this is what we should expect our bureaucracy to do with high competence and efficiency so when we look at the reform measures we need to ensure that these measures they improve outcomes for all these three objectives we want improved policy making as well as effective implementation as well as efficient delivery of the public services and i want to emphasize one point here one of the issues when whenever we are talking about the bureaucratic reform is that focusing overly on the ias and the quality of policy making so high quality policies that are poorly implemented they are of little use to general public so holistic bureaucratic reform needs to tackle these issues in tandem focusing just on one aspect will lead to incomplete solution so unfortunately a lot has been recommended but it fails to take this holistic approach so let's look at some of the recommendations that have been made previously right the elephant in the room is obviously article 311 
So what is Article 311? It protects the bureaucrats from dismissal and it provides them with security of tenure. Now, this article was originally well-intentioned. It was supposed to make the bureaucrats fearless in their decision-making and stand up against the political pressure. But over time, it provided a cover for underperformance and corruption. So now the second administrative reform commission recommended that this article be removed. But as you can imagine, this is a political hot potato and it has not been implemented. Also, I feel even if it were implemented, given the quality of our judicial process, it would have been very difficult to prosecute bureaucrats for corruption and especially petty corruption. Another interesting idea that has been put forth is reduce the recruitment age of the IAS officers. So apparently it is claimed that the character of the IAS officer is modeled better at a younger age. Now I'm not sure how scientific by the way that assertion is, but it is widely reported that most of the IAS officers, they are upright and idealistic when they join the service. And there is a joke that goes that they lose one vertebrae with each year of service due to the system in which they work. And by the time they reach the end of their service, they become spineless. <laughs> so it is the system that is responsible and not their age. Now, another supposedly radical reform that has been suggested is moving from a confidential appraisal system to an open appraisal system. So what happens in a confidential appraisal system? The officer does not know his evaluation unless there is an adverse remark. So the main problem is not that the appraisal is closed. The problem is that the officer can appeal for it in the court. So now this imposes a cost on the appraiser. And this process is tiring and cumbersome. So he wants to avoid this possibility of being dragged in the court and he doesn't want to make this adverse remark. So thus, I'm not sure if we make this uh, appraisal open, will it anyway take away this tendency of avoiding adverse remarks? Now, another measure that gets a lot of play in the media is the lateral recruitment of the professionals. Mm -hmm. So it has been tried for several years now, and but we have not really seen any major change in, in how the bureaucracy operates. And there are several reasons to this. One is that they suddenly find themselves in a sea of seasoned bureaucrats who have perfected the fine art of non-performance in politics. So they, they almost feel like a deer caught in the headlights. Second, their numbers are too few to make a meaningful difference in the quality of bureaucratic decision making. So genuine lateral entry requires opening position with decision making powers and merely co-opting from the private sector will not be of any help. Now, one major shortcoming of all these reform measures if they are exclusively focused on the IAS, we have to understand that IAS constitutes only a tiny sliver of the Indian bureaucracy and reforming them alone will not solve the problems. So for example, 
say a highly competent motivated ia officer he can be easily hamstrung or blocked by a corrupt officer at a junior level in the bureaucracy also when these reports and reforms when they have met, just focused on the ias they have ignored the welfare ramifications of millions of daily interactions between between the public and the government employees but most importantly these measures they are obsessively focused on what we call what we say as the control based measures now they want to control the bad behavior of the bureaucrats and not promote good behavior among them and this has got problem on two fronts number one you cannot by any means envisage every possible action by the bureaucrat and control it and second and more dangerously control measures only serve to increase the procedural density and it adds to the rent seeking behavior of the bureaucrat so empirically despite plethora of rules and anti corruption measures bureaucratic corruption has shown no sign of abating therefore it would be futile to follow a reform agenda that is just focused on increasing rules and controls on the bureaucracy so what is the lesson the lesson is that reforms cannot be a pipe dream they should be politically and organizationally feasible and realistic if not they will just remain in this realm of discussion or they'll be watered down in implementation so diva i just have a question here so when sure. obviously now we because we are now entering into the realm of reforms so now yes. i was just wondering so when we talk about bureaucratic reforms it is a very complex issue because like you say uh, a lot of uh, focus in india when we talk about the bureaucracy is to ias centric and it is not really covering the overall state of indian bureaucracy in such a scenario are there any proper studies done where we actually do a holistic survey of let's say the entire indian bureaucratic setup and after that break it down where you know we have more of a horses for courses kind of a view where maybe what works for the ias may not work for the you know other grade officers maybe what works for s so is there any kind of work done or any kind of study done and if it is done are there any committee proposals then made and is there any follow up done on that no nothing that i've come across and you know uh, anything that uh, is really radical and uh, you know it will be anyway stopped by the political bureaucratic nexus so it has not happened and by the way there are some interesting studies in east asian economies which will come to and why i recommend use of financial incentives is also because as you said we we need different horses for courses so it is a customizable strategy all right so so divala now let's get into uh, two specific areas so Sure. uh obviously like you've already mentioned a few reforms too in the evolution of our bureaucracy now uh let, let's let's now go into two parts so let's say what are the current uh, uh, state of affairs as far as incentives for the bureaucracy as they stand today like uh let's say if somebody was to come to you and say okay diva uh everything can't be such a disaster so are there any any uh, you know points there which might be valid enough for uh, for in the form of incentives for the bureaucracy as of today and can we maybe you know uh remove a few which because they don't work and recalibrate a few 
for the public good in in so in in kind of incentives for indian bureaucracy sure so kushal you know politicians they use both carrot and stick to tame the babus and the big stick that is often used by them is the transfers some of the viewers might be quite surprised that the average tenure for a particular post is less than a year and some upright bureaucrats like ashok khimka they even have lower tenure so he was by the way transferred 50 times in 23 years so now look at this while bureaucrats they enjoy security of tenure and cannot be fired for non performance they can be transferred as per the whims of the politician and this imposes a significant cost on them especially if they have a young family so now a bureaucrat is scared of going against the political tide or he'll be transferred and this threat of transfers has a significant impact on his performance it kills the initiative of the ias officer and it makes him risk averse so they are now scared to take any initiative because they might not be liked by their political bosses and they may get transferred and these punitive transfers they have uh, a couple of second order effects also which are even more pernicious so one is that they kill they almost you know create a negative atmosphere in the department and everybody engages in risk aversion even the new enterprising officers they who are not very unsure that you know for how long they'll stay and about their tenure they are very hesitant to commit to the department goals and objectives and second bureaucracy at the lower level they get very used to this virtual merry go round of the ias officers leaving so they adopt a attitude of non cooperation and they are confident that the officer in charge or my boss will be transferred out soon so by the way let me tell you in this regard one one reform measure was suggested and that was fixing the tenure for a post and this was uh, i think done in 2014 when the tenure was fixed for 2 years but again politicians they found a way to work around this and this measure has been ineffective in most states now let us look at some of the incentives or carrots that are given to babus and they have no bearing on the public welfare one of the big incentives is corruption which is obviously predatory and this is a major incentive at the lower levels of the bureaucracy the biggest incentive for a senior bureaucrat is post retirement position in tribunals or regulatory body So these positions they allow him to enjoy the lavish perks at the taxpayer's largest while enjoying his pension and appointment to these positions depend on the political patronage which is earned by being supine to the wishes of the political bosses so even when they are in service they'll prefer certain type of jobs and certain assignments which are more prestigious or they carry more perks and influence Another big incentive is getting impaneled which means serving the central government instead of the state. This impanelment process is highly opaque and political influence plays a significant role making bureaucrats more vulnerable to the politicians. So now these bureaucrats they compete for perks, 
they compete for entitlements, they compete for privileges, and the norms are established. Never use a public transport, never stand in a public queue, never drive your own vehicle, never go through security check at the airport, and never ever after retirement go gentle into good night's sleep of thankful anonymity. So we see that we have this system of informal incentives and disincentives, and this has a very deleterious effect on the bureaucracy. The bureaucrats now believe that remaining anonymous, remaining non-controversial, and remaining obedient is the best path to the top. And such misaligned incentives also lead to selection effect. Now, what is the selection effect here? So we have seen that success in the civil service, it is either garnered by corruption or political alignment. So it attracts similar kinds of people. And also it attracts people who do not want to perform and the tenure is secure. As a result of which we have a Gresham's law effect, meaning bad people driving out good people out of the bureaucratic job pool and the overall quality of bureaucracy declines. Now, one question to think about is why bureaucrats behave the way they do. So let us try to analyze a bureaucrat's actions on three dimensions, and we will see that the risk-reward ratio is always skewed towards actions that hurt public good. Look at acquiring capability. Why should a bureaucrat acquire capability? Why should he become more skillful? There is no positive payoff of being competent, but your competence may get in way of some politician and it might hurt you. Second, what is a bureaucrat's incentive to be politically neutral? At best, it will yield him some social recognition, but it will greatly damage his career. So Babus, they prefer political alignment to political neutrality, and this hurts public good. Very, Number three, very true. Now let's look at honesty and integrity, Kushal. Here there is no positive payoff. And when this is combined with corruption, it is a very rewarding strategy and has minimal risk. In fact, one commentator quipped that a dishonest bureaucrat is despised but thrives, or honest is respected but does not thrive, and the idealist, they end up in the boondocks. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> So now, you know, we might uh, wonder why bureaucrats behave the, the way they do. But the fact of the matter is that most people will behave in this way if they have this, these risk return trade-offs. So we have to be careful about something. So there, it does not mean that there are no incentives in bureaucracy. There are incentives, but they are misaligned with public good and therefore Therefore, we see a lot of corruption and a lot of nepotism and people, I don't know why people expect bureaucrats to be competent and honest and have this public service morality and integrity. In real life, these assumptions are not in consonance with the economic preferences of most people in the society. So we have to acknowledge that people are motivated by economic incentives and ad hoc economic incentives are at the heart of the political babu nexus, which in turn leads to corruption and poor public service. 
Therefore, now, what should we do? The need is to formalize economic incentives for the babus, make them transparent, make them visible, make them measurable, embed them formally in the compensation structure and implement them procedurally. So in short, we will have to move from a feudal bureaucracy to a professionally managed bureaucracy, from a Lala company to a professionally managed firm. So, so Diva, again, I will have to come in here and say, here's the problem, right? That in a country like ours, where there's so much resistance. So let's say if somebody wants to change the inherent setup of Indian bureaucracy, because what you're, what you're talking about, I'm not saying those points are not valid. They are actually spot on. Your, your observation about the way Indian bureaucracy is structured actually is structured to disincentivize everything that you're, ta that you're talking about. In such a case, then how will we, you know, actually reform this bureaucracy. I'll give you an example. Let's talk about something like lateral entries, right? So uh, there has been a lot of talk in this current government, whether it's, uh, you know, Narendra Modi's first term or the second term, especially in the second term. I remember a year or so ago, there was this article that the Narendra Modi government is now looking to bring in lateral entries uh, into the Indian bureau bureaucracy. Now, here's the thing. Whenever, and I have experienced this, I, uh, Okay, I'm just going to share it anyways. So this is my experience mm -hmm. of working. So I had actively worked in two villages in, in uh, rural Maharashtra. And this was my active experience of working with Indian bureaucrats. Um, mm -hmm. uh, by the end of it all, I was equally frustrated and equally impressed with them. Equally frustrated is because the system is so slow that every time I wanted to make a slight change in the village for the benefit of the people, I had to go through this plethora of things. But at the same time, I would always find that, you know, encouraging bureaucrat at the lower level and the higher level every time that would go out of the way and work for me. But that was because he was a human being too, and he would do at the human level. But what my experience was, the system is such third rated that even if they want to, they had to move a mountain to do it. In such a case, Diva. Then my question is, then how do I solve this lateral entry problem? Because think about it. I am someone who is coming in from outside and I'm going to be talking to these people, these bureaucrats who are used to this idea that to hack on. Tu mujhe aake bataega, main to pe 20 saal se hon, kind of a scenario. And then mm -hmm. how do we make sure that these lateral entrants also come in? I mean, based on expertise, on subject, ma on subject matter expertise. Also at the same time, you know, you spoke about financial incentives. So you, you use very specific words. You said financial incentives for bureaucratic reform. So, and, uh, and, I, and I remember in our off, you know, offline conversation, you said there is empirical research about that. Now, yes. let us focus on that bit. How do we make sure that we actually incentivize these bureaucrats so that, you know, even lateral entries happen? And how can we do it through financial uh, incentives? Right. So, uh, Kushal, there is a fair bit of research and uh, which shows that, you know, and which is quite relevant in our context and in, in India's context, because all these rules and regulations that we have seen, they are control based. We have never had a sort of a promotional rule. So now the big question, as you said, is how do we reform the bureaucracy to add state capability? Right. So what did the Asian Tigers do to make bureaucracy an enabler of economic growth? In simple terms, they incentivize bureaucrats to make them drivers of economic growth 
and not a millstone around the neck of the economy as we have done. And we have a lot of evidence, both theoretical and empirical, that show that incentives, they enhance bureaucratic effectiveness. So let me get in the theory first. We'll start with Jean Tirol. Now, Tirol is a highly respected academic economist, and he has researched extensively on incentives. He says that the nature of the government bureaucracy is such that a bureaucrat has a low-powered incentive, meaning the incentives, they are too weak to motivate performance. So now here is what you're talking about. So even if a bureaucrat is honest, well-meaning and devoted to public service, the low power of the incentive will demotivate his performance and his performance will be subpar. So the question now is, can we use performance pay to create high-powered incentives? And Susan Rose Ackerman has some very interesting theoretical insights here. Ackerman shows that a sense of professional duty is usually inadequate to motivate public servants and other incentives such as transfers and plum postings, they are randomly assigned with high error rates, so they are not a strong motivating factor. By high error rates, I mean that these postings for honest bureaucrats may or may not be given to them, and even if they are given to them, they'll come much later depending on their seniority. So now what will I think as a bureaucrat? I will think, why should I work now? Why should I expend my effort now when there is low probability of me getting rewarded and even the timing is uncertain? To further compound this problem of low productivity, bureaucratic systems are rule bound. So a bureaucrat thinks it is better to blindly focus on the rules rather than being productive and focusing on the end objective. So Ackerman says that financial incentives can often, often solve these sort of problems. They are high-powered incentives. They motivate the bureaucrats to focus on productivity and output. And there are several other advantages also. They foster greater competition between the bureaucrats, which raises the performance for the entire system. They are easy to implement, and they are compatible with the existing pay structure. Also, they have potential to reduce corruption without increasing procedural complexity and processing frictions. Now, another point I want to highlight here is that several studies have shown that bureaucrats in different functions, they have got different risk preferences. Let's try to understand this with an example. So for example, there is a bureaucrat in a more visible function. Now he is more risk averse. Why is it so? Because of the higher cost of visible failure than a bureaucrat in a less visible function. So as a bureaucrat, I will have this fear of failure and I will not do any work. So now financial incentives can be tweaked to take into account my risk aversion and stronger incentives can be given to me to motivate me to overcome this fear of failure and perform. So financial incentives also allow for heterogeneous risk preferences by changing the strength of the incentives. So it is a customizable strategy. So now a lot of you might be thinking, well, all this is uh, academic and you know, this is all theory and have financial incentives 
worked in real life? Do we have concrete examples? So the good news is that we have a wealth of anecdotal evidence to support the use of financial incentives to motivate civil servants, right? So what has been the great economic miracle of last 50 years? It has been the rise of the East Asian economies like Japan, Singapore, China, South Korea. So when World Bank surveyed these high performing East Asian economies, they found that one thing that was common to all of them was this highly motivated and a competent bureaucracy. And the reason for this was a finely crafted system of incentives for the bureaucracy. By the way, this is very well documented in a report called the East Asian Miracle. It is a fascinating document and I can share it with you, Kushal, after the podcast. Sure, I'd love to check it out. So now, one of the key distinction of these bureaucracies is that unlike India, where only recruitment is meritocratic, in these countries, both recruitment and promotion is meritocratic. In India, we have relied on culture and personal integrity alone to foster performance, but they have used a more rational approach of using financial incentives to motivate the bureaucrats. In fact, these countries, they have market-based pay incentive system. So civil service pay in Japan is actually based on annual surveys of private companies. And Korea also closely matches the pay of private sector for the civil servants. And this allows them to have wider recruitment pools. For example, Korea and China, they recruit heavily from the academia and they pay them market wages. And you know, beside this, there are several other informal financial incentives which have helped to motivate the bureaucrats. So in Japan, they have a system called Amakudari. Now Amakudari means descent from heaven where the high performing bureaucrats, they get plum private sector jobs, which motivates their performance. Similarly, in China, David Lee outlines the role of Zhahai in a paper in American Economic Review. It's a very famous paper. So he, so now what does Zhahai mean? Zhahai means jumping into the ocean. And this word refers to bureaucrats leaving the government to join the private or the state enterprises. Lee argues that Zhahai changes the ex-ante incentives of the local bureaucrats. How does this happen? Number one, they push for economic growth in their re regions, which enhances their own career options. And number second, having a pro-reform image, it helps them to get better private sector jobs. So they do the reform to get that pro-reform image. Now it is interesting to see this, that their exposed behavior also helps economic growth. So, you know, once they join the private sector, now they are at the receiving end of all those complicated rules and regulations. So they'll, they'll now lobby to have them removed. So here, Lee says that Shahai underscores the power of incentive in transforming a moribund bureaucracy. There is an interesting book, How China Escaped the Poverty Trap. And the author argues that bureaucratic entrepreneurship, which transformed China's economy, 
can largely be contributed to pay reform where the low base pay was complemented with a very very high supplement pay for economic performance similarly bureaucrats in singapore they also earn four types of performance pay number 1 non pensionable annual allowance which is the bonus number 2 annual variable component which is based on economic performance number 3 performance bonus which is based on individual performance and number 4 national bonus which is based on social economic indicators so it is interesting to see here that civil service compensation is pegged to national economic performance ensuring that bureaucracy has direct stake in well-being of the country they have skin in the game and they are rewarded proportionately for national success so i someone forwarded a very interesting uh, video to me kushal yesterday and uh, it was uh, lee kuan yew and he famously remarked if you try to get the government on the cheap you will end up having a cheap government <laughs> yeah i i actually remember this one yeah yeah so and in, it's interesting to see that we have got empirical studies and we have a robust statistical study that shows that well designed financial incentives they have had a positive effect on project completion rates in nigerian civil service right so what do we see country after country we see a similar pattern of incentive driven bureaucracy powering economic growth now specifically speaking how do we implement financial incentives number 1 we should be paying flexi wage packages with a fixed and a variable component and having a larger variable pay enables us to reward them without locking in wage increases number second this variable pay should be linked to performance and this strong link between pay and ability to perform will make the system more meritocratic and will be able to filter out outstanding average and underperforming bureaucrats number 3 currently under the pay commission system everybody gets the same increment and therefore nobody has the incentive to develop their potential pay increments should also be made variable so that good performers they have they get higher increments and they have more incentive to develop their potential but uh, we'll have to implement these financial incentives very thoughtfully and there are a few things that we'll have to be mindful about here now number 1 here the objective of the bureaucrats they have to be defined clearly and the output has to be made measurable so let's take an example see increasing welfare for district it is not a objective measure however reducing infant mortality in a district it is both objective and is measurable number 2 there has to be a clear link between effort and the performance measure number 3 we should have ex ante knowledge of the performance measure and we should have ex post observability of the performance measure let's take the same example so if a dm is evaluated based on infant mortality he should know that he is being evaluated on the infant mortality numbers and the infant mortality numbers should be made available to everybody now obviously one key challenge would be to 
define the KPIs and track them without error. So here we'll have a lot of flexibility. And one recommendation is that for senior bureaucrats, the incentives could be based on some easily measurable and widely visible economic criteria, such as the G GDP growth. And as a matter of fact, for a long time, Japan and South Korea, by the way, senior bureaucrats, they were evaluated on single criterion exports. And for other bureaucrats, the criteria could be local and narrower. Now, another point while implementing financial incentives is that we'll have to be careful about one thing. And this point was actually uh, uh, suggested by Dr. Ananta Nageshwaran in my discussion with him on the subject. So given the nature of the job, some positions, they'll have this higher potential of earning high incentive pay. Therefore, it is important that bureaucrats are rotated between high incentive pay and low incentive pay positions. And this should be done in a fair and equitable fashion. Because if these positions, if they are monopolized by a section of the bureaucracy, the other bureaucrats, they might be demotivated. There are two nuances of incentive design that I would like to talk about. These were pointed by Ackerman in her paper. They're a little technical, sure. but I will try to explain them with examples. So number one, sure. she says, yeah. So now, uh, you know, how can we account for randomness and outcome and risk aversion of public servants? So what is randomness and outcome? Let's take an example. Supposingly, I'm a policeman and my pay is based on the crime rate in my area of jurisdiction. Now, the crime rate is driven by several random factors which are outside my control and they are not based on my quality of policing. Which means that even if my quality of policing is high, the crime rate might not still go down. Right. So now I will think, what is the point in putting the effort in doing the policing when I can, when I cannot control the crime rate and hence I will not be paid for the reward. So in situations like this, Ackerman has a very interesting idea and she talks about tournament like incentives. So under tournament like incentive, the incentive of the policeman will not be based on the crime rate, but on his effort relative to other people in the department. The department will now assign a certain amount of money as a variable pay, and he will get his share of variable pay depending on his ranking, which is compared to his peers. And, and he can be ranked based on objectively measurable criteria, such as the number of rounds he has made, the number of petrols he has done, how many FIR he has lodged, or how many criminals he has caught up. So, so thus he is rewarded based on his relative performance and not based on the absolute performance of the department and his variable pay does not get impacted by the random shocks of the crime rate and he remains motivated. Quite an interesting idea. 
So another yeah, nuance. Actually, in, so I just had a hmm. question here. So, so yeah. obviously th this is a very specific thing to the police force. But, but uh, let's say the larger, larger idea over here can that be tweaked and applied to different fields too? I, I just for clarity, as per Ackerman. Sure, sure. You know, so she gives a couple of examples. So she gives an example with the uh, school teachers also, and how a teacher might feel in a public school, even if I am, even if I'm not absent and I'm teaching, but what will my effort have on the outcome of reading of a third grader? So she has a couple of examples. And if, when we are implementing such a tournament like uh, incentive plans to a larger bureaucracy, we have to understand that incentive design, it is a sophisticated area dominated by specialists. So they'll know the nuts and bolts of it, and it can be implemented. So she has a couple of very interesting examples in her paper. Now, another nuance in incentive design that she talks about is the use of overlapping areas of jurisdiction in the bureaucracy. And this is specifically relevant in the context of our country, where the bureaucrats, they enjoy monopoly over permission and licenses, and they use it to extract rents. Now, again, let us try to understand this with an example. See, suppose there are two bureaucrats, an honest bureaucrat and a dishonest bureaucrat. Now, both of them, they have the same incentive to grant business permit. Now, I'll go to the dishonest bureaucrat, and he demands a huge bribe. But with overlapping jurisdiction, I have the option of going to honest bureaucrat and he gives me the business permit quickly and he earns more for his performance. Now all applicants will start doing this. So the dishonest bureaucrat will not get any applications and neither will he make money from corruption nor from incentives. So you might think that this is too simplistic. But on an aggregate, this should work because this sort of creates an internal market. What happens in the market? Good service providers, they drive away the bad service providers, right? Similarly, well-incentivized honest bureaucrats will make, will take away the market share actually from the dishonest bureaucrats when we have overlapping jurisdiction with performance pay. In fact, Ackerman says that this will lead to reverse Gresham law. I mean, uh, what is the Gresham law, by the way? So Gresham law is when bad money drives out good money out of the circulation. By bad money, I mean the the chipped uh, coins or the, you know, torn notes. So here we'll, have, here we'll have the reverse of Gresham law where the honest and well-incentivized bureaucrats, they will force the dishonest and bribe-seeking bureaucrats to behave honestly. Uh, so, you know, I also now, now I think one question that you might have is, well, all this is good, but uh, the main problem that is the, the systemic problem that we have is whether whether this, this will eradicate corruption. This might be one of the questions that might come to your mind. So what, what will happen to corruption and political nepotism? Well, this will not eradicate corruption because it does not happen in, an, in any system. So there are no perfect solutions. There are only optimal solutions. So it will not eradicate corruption, but what will happen now is the risk return trade-off of corruption 
will now change. The higher incentives for honest performance will mean now that the opportunity cost of corruption will now be higher, which will dissuade many from taking the risk that comes from corruption. And instead, they will try to earn more by improving performance. Now, let us try to understand this in a probability framework, and I'll give you a simple example. Suppose we have an officer and he can take one crore and he can make one crore from corruption over his entire service life, right? But there is a 10% probability that he will be caught. So in which case he will lose one crore due to the legal and the reputational cost. So under the current system, as an honest bureaucrat, he, he, he doesn't take anything, neither does he lose anything. So what is his expected payoff of honest hard work in the system? It is zero. The expected, uh, expected value is actually the payoff multiplied by the probabilities. Now let us look at uh, an example of dishonest bureaucrat in this case. He engages in corruption and he makes one crore with 90% probability and he loses one crore with a 10% probability. Thus, expected payoff from corruption is 80 lakhs. So what do we see? Corruption is a dominating strategy here. On the other hand, suppose now we have financial incentives and the financial incentives, they add up to say 85 lakhs over his service life. So then his expected payoff from honest performance is 85, while his expected payoff from corruption is 80 lakhs. 85 being greater than 80, so honesty is the dominant strategy here. Now, this will not be true for everyone, but financial incentives will now make the officers think twice about the risk of corruption now that they can make money the honest way. So what will essentially happen is that the risk return trade-off for corruption will become skewed against corruption. I just hope. Uh, I, I just hope you know. I have uh, you know sort of. No, 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 no. So, so don't, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> I uh, see. As far as I'm concerned, this is very important. So, don't yeah. think that whether people are going to understand this or not. That is that uh, people will watch it again if they they do not understand parts of it. But the point is that you cannot explain. And and uh, at least I am of a firm belief that complex subjects need complex answers. You. You know, this, 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 this thing that we have that, sir, punch minute me batao. So do not get that. This is a serious yeah. issue. People think that a bureaucracy that is superimposed on India from the, from the Raj, the British Raj. Mm -hmm. is going to be solved just like that without explaining its problems and without explaining scientific nuances. So not even for one moment, Diva, do you think that who's going to get it or not? I, I I know it is so ingrained in us, but that's not the issue. But I want to come over here and ask you something. And, you know, which... I'll just add to that, Kushal. You know, there is one, uh, one thing that I'm overly critical about. So everyone has an opinion on the subject, but, you know, it is never backed by enough information and data. So everyone can opine on this subject. And whenever uh, 
at least i have uh, you know the animated discussions over social media so the more animated it is the more credible it sounds to people but it's it is not backed by any study or research so i think opinion without information is i think everyone has an opinion it's not uh, yeah. yeah and i can assure you one thing the people who come on the charvak podcast know this is a serious portal that only does serious discussions i mean we can have fun i am not against fun i always laugh uh, and joke too but the point is that i have built this portal with a very clear cut understanding and my viewers know it they come here with the expectation ki kushal is not going to reduce the standard of the discussion so not not even for one moment but diva i think there is one thing that i do, uh, maybe you're going to mention it later on but i have to ask this question to you mm-hmm. a lot of times these studies mm-hmm. that are done so so don't get me uh, wrong but the studies are done let's say in singapore uh, the study is done in say china now here's the thing i'm not saying singapore is a extremely homogenized society but it still has a level of homogenization that cannot be compared to the diversity of india so so let's say a country like india where the bureaucracy is whether we like it or not there are caste caste matrices there are linguistic matrices there there are a different sort of issues in india now in mm-hmm. a now in a situation like that diva when we are looking at solutions and incentives is this variable also taken into consideration well i think there is a bigger issue here kushal when we are talking about these reform measures one problem is that you know we have this penchant for socialism and we have this penchant for a superficial public morality so of course you know how singapore works and how a large country like india works with all its uh you know frictions due to democracy and heady activism so it is a different ball game but i think the main problem is the socialist mindset which does not allow us to explore anything that is you know that takes away the power from them so you know uh, you know because now what happens is they they want the government to intervene as and when they want and th- because this helps them protect their turf so nothing will be very easy but by definition i think reform is something that has not been tried so such reforms on financial incentives they are good experiments to try and we have we have had a lot of control based measures we have never sort of tried a promotional measure now here here is a thing that i want to talk which is that you know this measure it is promotional so it does not add to the procedural friction and it does not threaten the status quo so you know politically also it is feasible so if you if you say that you know let me take away all the perks from the bureaucrats you'll not be able to do it politically there is a huge political premium to this but the moment there is something promotional it is more politically feasible also I just hope I got, I've answered your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I got it. So, so Diva, yeah. uh, obviously, I want to take uh, because I've already uh, gotten a lot of uh, questions from our live viewers. Also, uh-huh. uh, one of them has already answered. Somebody had asked about the corruption bit, and you've already clarified yeah. the corruption bit. But now, let's let's take this as the last section. Mm-hmm. I get you have mentioned a lot of uh, you know reform suggestions. How do we tweak the bureaucracy? But again, yeah. Diva. when the rubber meets the road 
the implementation is a huge problem so how are you going to go about implementing these financial incentives that you're talking about uh, which will lead to these uh, bureaucratic reforms how do we do that then right so um, you know incentive design it is a it is a sophisticated area which is dominated by specialists you know let me just try to you know just by an example i'll try to explain that a lot will depend on the objective and the output so we will have to move from input based to a output based model right but the as i said earlier the nuts and bolts will depend on the sophisticated incentive designers and they have all you know so as i mentioned earlier and i reiterate that we we should have performance based pay and we should have a variable pay and even the increments should be made variable now how this will happen across the board is a question for incentive designers to answer all right got it now diva let me start taking a few of the live viewers questions so yeah. it's actually a very good question someone has just asked so Mm-hmm. so there's sunil taluja who says that one of the suggestions that have been made time and again is the creation of a board to oversee transfers and postings do you think that would make sense or how feasible it is have you have you come across any papers that that actually accepts these kinds of suggestions so i do not think this will work so this is again okay. a classic control measure which will lead to more procedures and frictions and this has a standard problem of tio custodiat ipsos custodis who will guard the guards who will yeah. ensure that the board is competent who will ensure that the board is neutral so this will again lead to procedural pandemonium and a hot potato game so i do not think this will work in our context all right good so now let me ask the other question so this is also uh, you did touch upon it but i think i i still think we can uh, discuss it so abhijit mm-hmm. asks what are the advantages of having permanent babus versus political parties bringing in their own administration that can be held accountable via election so what what somebody is trying to say is that you know i bring in somebody every time with the new government comes in i put them on top because you obviously cannot fill the lower bureaucracy every 5 years but maybe mm-hmm. in the top with with the cabinet of the prime minister the prime minister has an extended bureaucratic uh, selection that maybe comes in i know it's radical every 5 years changes but i'm just putting it out there because somebody has asked this do you think that would be feasible yeah. or that would lead to too much chaos no so i think you know what abhijit is saying is that you know when we have a new party we have a new set of people which are aligned to the you know to the ideology of the party and they are put in the top positions and this is this is quite common with any government which is in power and even in the us we have seen so yellen she was she was not liked by trump and now she's the treasury secretary so this happens in all the countries but the point here is that we have to be sure about something now abhijit said will it make them accountable so accountability and I'll, I'll belabor this point a little bit here sure so accountability is the major issue now what happens that you know bureaucrats they are never penalized for delayed decisions or and they are never you know rewarded for accelerated actions so basically there is no cost to a delayed action and there is no reward for 
for a uh, accelerated action which means and you know there is a joke that goes that you know these these bureaucrats even in the top position they basically you know they they hit and and they draw a circle around their hits and they call them the targets so accountability will not be very easy accountability cannot be decreed by a fiat it has to be induced and and it can only happen by a complex set of incentives it can only happen by transparent processes and by by levels and checks in different places mm uh, uh, it's actually this is a very good question div i think you'll like this so rutvik has asked how do we renegotiate the role of the bureaucrat when power is stripped so he's given an example a lot of rural and semi rural you know india run on respect and position of the bureaucrat so what i think what he's trying to say is that uh, again how does the cultural variable factor be adjusted when you tweak and you try all these incentives because at the end of the day culture is a huge factor when we talk about reforms right we have to consider the cultural aspect of our society like especially in uh, semi rural or semi urban india these factors might take a lot because there is a lot of prestige as you mentioned in the beginning of the of our podcast that you said a lot of prestige is attached till the extent that people attach their names to it so how do we work around that then so uh, is ritwik trying to say that this has not happened so it might not happen i, I didn't quite get the question right so is, so i uh, yeah. so i guess what he's trying to say i'm i'm also assuming on his behalf is that yeah, yeah. maybe how do we so let me put it this way how do we factor in cultural variables when we do reforms so i think incentive will always trump culture on average so you know we we have this we have this thing about culture and the superficial way in public service morality but incentive will always trump culture uh but but when we when we talk about incentive again so i'm just yeah. trying to play the devil's advocate here yeah. you know yeah, yeah. Uh, in a society which is as caste obsessed as india let's mm -hmm. say you know i i've seen this with my own eyes again because i've worked on the ground and i've seen this with my own eyes that i have literally mm -hmm. seen occasions of asking people not just caste even religious identity is so enmeshed in the mm -hmm. indian fabric that ni wo meri jaat se hai ya wo mere religion ka hai because cultural homophily is real when it comes to you know they, mm -hmm. as they say you know birds of the feather flock together so ha you know a lot of times people actually prefer x based on their identity matrix not on based on what you say the performance matrix how do we get over that right i think you know this is this is very ingrained in our system and you know it it is a difficult uh, issue to tackle but you know uh, i'll i'll try to get in little bit of humor here and which is and a, a, a lot of the viewers might have this question also you know this this is a complicated area financial incentives will not work in in india because this is a too complicated country and nothing will work so you know bureaucrats they have this classic fear of precedence so they say if something has not worked it will not work and this reminds me of a very famous joke from yes minister where sir humphrey he says that many things should be done and many many things should be done but but nothing should be done for the first time <laughs> <laughs> that's so true Th that sums up the the attitude and there was 
and Ritwik, there is, by the way, it, there is another joke that is, you know, bureaucrats, they are terrified of innovation. So they do not want to innovate. They do not want to be creative about anything. And there is, again, a famous joke from Yes Minister that says, if you do the right thing one time, you will have to do the right thing over and over again. So they, they don't want to do it. So I think, yeah. you know, re reform is not easy, but we should not let precedence derail the reform. That's my short answer to you. All right. This is a good question, too, by Sujoy. Sujoy says, if good and honest bureaucrats can be recruited into large companies after retirement with huge salaries, can something like this be, say, applied into the existing system? And uh, maybe if their salaries are improved, I know. So, uh, so a common friend of mine uh, and yours, uh, Harsh, you know, Harsh, Harsh actually talks about this a lot. I know Harsh has mentioned this a lot of times on social media, too, where he says, you know, we need to pay our bureaucrats more. If we pay them more, we can hold them even more accountable. Do you think that would work, Diva, in your opinion? Yes, yeah, so of course, you know, so uh, let me first answer the first part of the question by Sujoy. So in a situation where, you know, government servants, they go to work for private companies, post-retirement will definitely incentivize them to perform. But in a country like India, where the institutions such as the courts and the investigative agencies which are weak and the oversight is not as perfect, this might lead to corruption by civil servants while they are in service. And actually, this has been an issue even in the developed countries like America, where the revolving door between government and the corporate world was blamed for the light touch regulation, and which, according to many, it was responsible for the financial crisis of 2008. So something like this might not be a feasible solution for India. Now, answering the second part, I will just have one line, which is if you pay peanuts, you'll just get monkeys. True. So so I guess, yeah, please, uh, we have to improve the salaries. So one question has been asked over here by Sonam. Sonam has said, what are your views, let's say, of the UPSC syllabus per se? So I think when you know, a lot has been said about the examination, how it is the toughest exam in the world. Everything is so tough. But my point is that what kind of examination is that and what kind of a product comes out of it? Has there been any honest analysis done of that, Diva? See, I'm not sure. But, you know, I, I think I, I, what I think is, number one, that the it, it has to be a critical thinking and a problem solving exam. So from what I hear is it is based on rote learning. I'm not sure. I've not seen the syllabus and this is this is what I've heard. So number one, this is about the UPSC exam. Of course, it is, you know, maybe four lakh uh, people, they, they sit for the exam and just maybe 100 or 200 make it through the exam. But that does not mean that, you know, exam, that, that, that examination is a perfect measure. Also, we have to understand that examination is just a filter. We have a lot of debate that, you know, this paper should be tweaked for the IFS and for IPS, it should be this. So those type of debates are very frequent when we are talking about the exams. But examination is just a filter. Passing examination does not mean you'll become a high performing bureaucrat. So that, has, that we have to be mindful about. 
Uh, that that's a fair assessment too. All right, Th- this is big because I think this question was asked when you were talking about the history and evolution of bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. So somebody has asked, are there any study or is there any study done of bureaucracies of past kingdoms in India? Let's say, let's say the Vijayanagar Empire. Has there been any detailed study of bureaucracy and how bureaucracy was structured in India? Are there any good source materials where we can maybe go and read them up? Right. So there is a very interesting paper by S.K. Das, and I, it's a very, very interesting paper. So he talks about uh, he talks about the modern bureaucracy in detail, talks about the Islamic uh, bureaucracy, talks about the British and, you know, how these are different, uh, you know, how different facets have uh, sort of influenced our bureaucratic culture. It's a fascinating paper. And I can share it with you, Kushal. And I think uh, if he just puts in his email ID here, I can email that paper to him. So uh, so do one thing, Diva. You can just email it to me and I will maybe post this in the description of the podcast. I can add that paper to the description of the podcast and people can go go and uh, refer it there. So somebody has asked. And I, um, I'm glad he brought this up because this is this is one of the best studies that I have seen on the history of Indian bureaucracy. Awesome, awesome. So, so see, this is the advantage of having a live audience. You always get uh, get interesting questions, and then you can even elevate the level of the discussion. So, right. so somebody has said, uh, "I'm going to avoid the business house name because I I don't like uh, doing that." But somebody has said, "Why is yeah. so easy to bribe at any level in India? How can you break the influence of the?" capitalist types who help the bureaucrats with perks creatively how can you create a a real non-crony capitalist uh, system in india so you you mean so the question is that you know we shouldn't be paying bribes to get things done is is that what the question yeah. is or the bureaucrats the is, shouldn't be taking bribes so the question is the system is as such that the capitalists come and bribe the bureaucrats and get their way done uh, right. i think it's a very simplistic view of indian bureaucracy i think there are many good indian bureaucrats too uh, again having worked with bureaucrats i can tell you there are many good bureaucrats too but sure. but the point is that uh, the point is that you know you have crony capitalism in india and that crony capitalism also comes in a in the in the way right. of growth and prosperity and reform of indian bureaucracy because that also is not giving any incentive to the bureaucrat because you know they have direct connects with the with the capitalists there and they can do what they want to do on the other hand i feel that you know we have a crony socialist system so i mean and that is what i firmly believe in so maybe i think he has borne the brunt of this system but socialism is so well entrenched in in a lot of uh, people and even the bureaucrats that you know a lot of these problems are because of socialism and see bribe seeking and uh, corruption and nepotism as i have said you cannot eradicate from any system so i mean that will never happen so in any 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 measure that we try to have that that will never happen but i think socialism has got more problems than capitalism i i could not agree more with you because india's problem is not crony capitalism india's problem is crony socialism which has bred this system of mediocrity where everybody you know tries to do uh, do a shortcut system so i'm going to club two questions here 
somebody has written so i'll i'll club them together what is the current process to assign you know candidates to say ias ips or ifs is it done randomly or on based on specific characteristic traits i think this is a very good question which which alludes us to your earlier point that there is this thing that indian bureaucracy generates generalists not specialists so so right. is it the real case or no there are certain requirements or for that so this is the first half so if you could tell us a little bit about that right so we always have this you know generalist versus a socialist uh, a specialist uh, sort of a debate and we have to understand that in any organization there are generalists required for some broad functions and we need specialist for some specific functions let me give you an example say for example the officer who is looking after the uh, monetization of assets in dpan is supposed to have specialized knowledge of the financial market whereas a dm say he has multiple objectives so he should be a generalist so i think a lot depends on the nature of the job and also one thing that i want to bring out here kushal is that you know we 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 have this animated debate in media all the time but getting a specialist does it mean that the specialist will perform so i think the problem is not so much with the capability the problem is with the intent the problem is with the motivation the problem is misaligned incentives so, so, so this is a very interesting word that you've used here misaligned incentives could could you a little uh, elaborate that a little bit i find that very interesting so incentives which harm public good when i was talking about it in the first part what are the incentives that a bureaucrat has so all of them they are skewed against public good so what are some of the incentives i talked about in the you know earlier bit where what are the carrots uh, that is used by the politician so they are not in sync with public good all right got it got it so one more question here yeah. uh somebody has said do you think we need a minimum age limit of 45 years for babus rather than a minimum age of 22 years don't we need experts with experience in project management rather than college grads so i i spoke about this i'll re reiterate that i think it is not a you know i think we we have this debate all the time what age they should be in and they say it is easier to model them and you know the age should be increased and some people say the age should be decreased so there are these sort of arguments but i think it is the system that sucks them up so even even if they are they are idealists and they are honest it is the system that sucks them up and it is the same rigmarole again So I think this this debate is all the time overhyped. I think uh, more than the age, what we need to focus on is that how do we remove the impediments? Is is that what you're saying? Right, right, exactly. Oh, got it, got it. So so uh, Diva, this is amazing. So I, I, I'm aware, I'm conscious of your time. So before uh, you know, I've taken all the questions now. Uh, before wrapping today's discussion up, so. if i was to ask you what what are your you know last passing remarks when it comes 
to Indian bureaucracy. Uh, so I, I'll be very honest. What I loved today was you just did not say what are the problems and you, you're spot on. The biggest problem with Indian discussions in general is uh, what would be your closing salvo for today's discussion on transforming our Babudam? Right. So, uh, Kushal, you know, I always feel that uh, there has to be a filter where we can differentiate between competent but constrained, incompetent but well-intentioned, and purely malified agents. So, uh, uh, you know, whenever when you were asking me a question, I think at the back of the mind, a lot of viewers had, well, will this help? I mean, the question is, nothing has helped. Will this help? So whenever we are looking at any measure, I think we have to see whether is it better than the other systems, other measures that is available. And if that has a significant positive delta on the outcome, then I think it should be explored. And we have talked about various anecdotal evidence where it shows that incentivizing bureaucrats works. So we do not have perfect solution. What gives me confidence of this measure is that it is promotional. It does not add any procedural friction and it does not threaten the vested interest who might kill it or dilute it. So therefore, it is politically feasible. All right. So first of all, uh, today's discussion, I, I have to admit this. Uh, when, when we decided to do this podcast, uh, and this is for the viewers, we took our time, A. Eh? Uh, Diva was very particular. Diva was like, look, we need to go in a certain way. We need to cover these points. We have to do this. We have to do that. And and now I realize why she was so particular because uh, the one thing that I pride myself is that if you are coming on this podcast platform that you have to do things properly and in detail. So, so I could not have, you know, maybe asked for a better explanation of Indian bureaucracy from from the start to finish. So so once again, Diva, on behalf of each and every viewer, listener of the Charvak podcast, thanks a lot for coming uh, on this platform. <coughs> I'm sorry. And actually educating us and telling us that all hell has actually not broken loose. <laughs> Kushal, it was pleasure chatting with you and it was pleasure interacting with all the viewers. The questions were very illuminating. I think I learned a fair bit too. Thank you. All right, all right, uh, Diva. The pleasure was mine. Uh, so, guys, it's time to wrap up today's discussion. As you as you know the drill, if you want to support the Charvak podcast, you can do it by becoming a member on YouTube or subscribe on Patreon, or you you can send donations on UPI or buy the Charvak podcast merch. Indian bureaucracy is much maligned. Uh, most of the times, the 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 the, the abuses and uh, the hurls uh, that uh, uh, that are hurled at them. Are justified, but they also are doing a fair bit for this country. So I, uh, I know a lot of you guys, you know, uh, so are used to Abhijit and Abhijit's wrath on the bureaucrats. But I thought that we need to have a much better perspective on Indian bureaucracy. I hope today's podcast did that. If you have any more comments or questions, please leave them in the comment section. I will try to incorporate all the details. Uh, that the uh, diva has shared here in the description of the podcast also 
I have left a link to <clears throat> Diva's Muckrack account so you can go and read all her articles. I would highly recommend you read the two articles on uh, Mint where she had, you know, explained this in a much shorter way. But I would recommend you go to, uh, to uh, go and read that too. Follow her on Twitter and I'll see you guys next time. Until then, take care. Goodbye.